A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Why does making friends as an adult feel so What hard? should I wear on a first date? What the date? hell is a foreign But that hookup was not good. So what do I want my life to look like in five years? We, we want to know too. Since 2012, the Every Girl has been an online destination to help women around the world achieve the life of their dreams. Now, we're excited to bring you the same inspiring content with the Every Girl Podcast. Welcome back to the Every Girl Podcast. I am very excited about today's episode, not just as the host, but as a listener. That is because our guest today is serial entrepreneur, the OG boss lady, Jacqueline Johnson. In 2012, she founded the multi-million dollar company, Create and Cultivate, which is a huge media platform helping women create the life of their dreams. It has featured the biggest names from Chrissy Teigen and Martha Stewart to Kim Kardashian and Kendra Scott. Jacqueline has gone on to start New Money Ventures, a consumer fund that invests in game-changing brands and the women behind them, and her latest creation, May Wine, which is ushering in single-serve wine bottles. I mean, isn't that genius? As if that weren't already a lot on a girl's plate, Jacqueline is also the author of best-selling memoir and advice book, Work Party, and the host of top-rated podcasts under the same name. So yeah, the title multi-hyphenate is for sure an understatement. If you're a fan of Jacqueline, I think this is unlike any interview she has done before. We obviously dive into her career tips and advice, how she became such a huge success, and what advice she would give to women. But I was also so curious to ask her opinion on hustle culture and how expectations are changing and boundary setting, work-life balance. So it was a really interesting conversation. We had a great discussion. So get ready to get inspired. Please welcome Jacqueline Johnson to the Every Girl Podcast. This week's review comes from Kara C. Paul, who writes, Lisa's wise words. This past episode has me completely changing my dialogue with how I view food, my self-image, and my mindset. I will be taking all of the tips into the holiday season and beyond. The Evergirl does it again and leaves me feeling wanting to be better, do better, and ultimately live better. Thank you so much, Kara. I love that you are so inspired. I felt the same way too after having that conversation with Lisa Moskovitz. Don't forget to DM us at the Every Girl Podcast on Instagram to collect your prize. And for this week's giveaway, since we're featuring the ultimate CEO, we're giving away one of my favorite items from the future CEO gift guide on theeverygirl.com, the base work tote. It is sleek. It is stylish. You can carry around your laptop and it's professional enough for the office, but it easily transitions into your favorite happy hour OOTD because it is just so chic. I like it in the brown croc material. It's so cute, but you can get it in any color you want. To win the base work tote for yourself, all you need to do is leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts to tell us what you loved about this episode. 
trust me, you guys, you are going to want to upgrade your desk setup, your resume, your work uniform after getting inspired from this conversation with Jacqueline. Are you in LA or are you permanently in the, are you in the Napa area? I'm back and forth. So I'm basically like, we're basically split, I would say half and half. So we're doing the holiday season out here, which is super fun because it's like very Christmasy and cute. And then we'll do spring and like fall in LA. But my husband like wants to move right here full time. Yeah. He's like over it. He like hates LA. He's like, I don't want to go back. I'm like, I get it, but it's like sort of a Yeah. I, I feel like that would be hard to leave Napa and like go back to real life. And I just went to Napa for the first time, like in the spring oh, and I was in love with it. So I totally get so the awesome. having to, to do the dual lifestyle because it's so like relaxing and magic. And so I'm jealous of you. I want to go there like and split time because it's so beautiful. <laughs> well, come on up. Yeah. I'll give you my racks and all the things. Yes. Like, I'm an expert. Yeah. I need the Rex. I know. I used to get to go for work a lot into the Sonoma area. And that's that's where my husband and I got married. That was oh, like nice. heaven on earth as far as I was concerned. Sonoma's um, like the cool, it's like the hipster. It's like the Silver Lake of Napa. That's a perfect description. It's a very cool vibe. Very hipster. Yeah. <laughs> it's very, very cool. It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's so fun. It's like a little more country. Yes. Yes, exactly. So Jacqueline, to get started, before we dive into all of your seriously impressive accomplishments, I'd love to take our listeners back to your early years. And I'm talking like childhood through college, which I know is a lot of years to cover, but like, what would you call out as those key points? Tell us about who you were then. What was your childhood like? And what do you think you could attribute your very impressive drive to? Oh, well, yeah, no, so excited to be here. I would say I grew up with a family of entrepreneurs. So I think that's always helpful context is my mom and dad own their own small business. So my sister and I were like constantly in the office, like stuffing envelopes, helping out with the business, you know, obviously they took their work home. And so it was always this sort of like family affair, like being in the mix with building, you know, their company. And so then I, when I was going off to college, I went to NYU and definitely definitely did not see myself becoming an entrepreneur. I was getting internships at different places. I wanted to be a magazine editor as a lot of young ladies like to do in the big city. And, you know, was studying that at NYU, had all the right internships, ended up going into work at like Time Inc. and then Connie Nast and had some really like early traction, but then ended up in marketing. And at the time, social media marketing, which was called word of mouth marketing. Cause like social media was like barely existing at that point. I sound 150 years old, but I was really <laughs> early <laughs> to the social media marketing world. So I was part of this agency that was super small. It was just these two guys in this like really weird office in Flatiron. <laughs> and they were like, Facebook, like brands are going to be on Facebook. And now that sounds so obvious, but like at the time, no one was on Facebook. So we were one of the mm-hmm. first agencies that was bringing Estee Lauder onto Facebook and, you know, Bed Bath and Beyond, some of these big brands. So I felt like I got kind of lucky and that I was kind of ushered into this new era of marketing early on um, and then became mm-hmm. an expert very quickly at it because the people who were doing it were the experts at that time, you know, because it didn't exist. Yeah. Before then. So all that to say, I would say that's sort of my career journey um, from like childhood to 
college and post-college. I loved working though. I always had like, I had like two jobs in high school. I was like a total freak about working. I absolutely loved it. I felt like the independence was really great. I had internships and paid jobs in college. I was just like always looking and loving working. I love that so much. So I mean, those early days in marketing, is that what you would attribute like honing your kind of those key business skills like negotiation and networking? Where would you say that really developed? Because I know a lot of people, myself included, really struggle with some of those things. Like, Do you have advice for people listening who aren't as comfortable with that to how to improve? And, and where did you kind of get better in practice throughout the years? So it was funny because I always was under the impression that like, if you work hard or do a really amazing job at your job, like that's how you grow, grow and become very successful, which is true in some ways. But what I wish someone would have explained to me in college was, yes, that's important to work hard and, and do a good job. But the other piece that's extremely important is your network of people that you have around you and those relationships that you develop long term. So, you know, that whole saying of like your network is your net worth is actually, I think, extremely accurate. And that's just as valuable as a good education and, you know, a really amazing skill set. So I was lucky in that I think going to NYU really set me up for success long term because I was able to network essentially my face off with not only other students and people my age, but people way above me because I had internships at like, you know, these incredible, you know, organizations that you couldn't necessarily get in like a college, a small college town or something like that. So I definitely took advantage of that early on. And I think for me, where I was really able to hone my skill set, and I will say, I took a lot of internships in different categories, specifically tied to magazine production. So I interned with editorial at like a very like high society magazine and, you know, kind of learned a little bit about like, oh, I'm on the editorial team. But I started realizing like a lot of these editorial coverages are driven by ads. Like I didn't realize that when I was reading magazines as a young girl, I thought like editorial was editorial and advertising is advertising. And this was like the dawn of the advertorial. So I was working a lot on like advertorial stuff, realizing like, oh, wow, the edit team is like two people and the sales team is like 50 people. Like, this is really interesting. It's not, it's, you know, the advertising side of it's really um, interesting to me. And that's how I ended up in my first position with Attention. That was the name of the agency I started working for. And Attention is definitely where I like cut my teeth in terms of entrepreneurship, selling strategy, how to build and think and package, um, you know, services, all those things. So it's, you know, like I said, at the time I joined, it was two guys who were the two co-founders, one guy who was like an IT tech guy, and then me. And so I was with these guys like day one of them building their business. So I got to see the good, the bad, the ugly. But I also got to see how they would start pricing things and selling things, like getting in a room with them and learning from the main founder of like how you talk about things, quantify things, like all of those things. And so I basically was really lucky in that I kind of came in before they ended up blowing up. They ended up becoming this thousand person agency and selling to WPP and like, yeah, hugely successful. But I was like employee number three and they were basically like, we have this big pitch with this fashion client, Blue Fly, which I don't know if you remember Blue Fly, but it was like one of the OG discounted luxury. It was a big deal. But I was so excited because they're like, we need someone who understands fashion. And I had a fashion blog. I'd worked in the fashion industry, like from an edit side. And so they were excited to bring me in. So I got lucky in that I was able to kind of help them win that business and then own their fashion and beauty vertical as like a 21. I think I was 20 when I started working there, which is crazy. Definitely a unique experience. Oh my gosh. So, so cool. How Can I ask how long you were with them? Yeah. So I was with them. So it's actually kind of a funny story. I think I was there for 
two years, maybe a little under two years. And I got poached by another agency. And I had no idea what being poached was. I was just like, (laughs) you know, like, oh, look at this nice LinkedIn message. Like, let me go meet this like person. And basically I got poached by a larger agency called iCrossing. And basically they were like, we want you to come over and build our social media department. Again, a hundred years old social media wasn't even like a thing. But it was interesting because, I mean, they offered me double my salary. And so when you're like 22 living in New York, you're like, yeah, like I'm going to go do that. Yeah. So there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like it's a yes. And so I left to go do that and really help build out. But it was, it was interesting, right? Because I went from like this now at that point, like 10 person team that was like some of my best friends, still my best friends to this day, like the attention team and, and the attention, the company just has this really weird, unique bond of all the employees that were kind of there. Two, iCrossing, which I think was 2,000 employees, 3,000 employees, like international offices. It was a totally different world. Um, But I learned a lot about sort of corporate structure there um, and, you know, working with like the CVSs and the Mazdas and teams and orgs and workflows and all that kind of stuff that, you know, where we were just kind of winging it at the first agency. This was like very structured. Yeah, that's such a huge culture shift and like an incredible learning experience from both sides of it. So you were only at attention for two years, but you said, I love the expression cutting teeth. And like, what would you say were like those key learnings in those two years? Oh, yeah. So I would say, you know, first and foremost, I, the founder and sort of the CEO, this guy, Curtis, was an incredible salesperson. And I feel like I learned so much from him on how to pitch how to put your ideas together. Because I think one of the weird things that you need to be good at as an entrepreneur is sort of information design and how you put together information in presentations, in documents, for employees, like how you're kind of communicating your message through design, copy, all these different things. And he was a real master at that. And like his decks were extremely compelling um, to sell the services, why they were important. I remember he had this sales tactic that I thought was so genius. And again, you have to go back. This was a long time ago, but he would go into these meetings and say like, okay, like this lip gloss brand, right. And say, I Googled you. And when you Google, you can go to like news and then it shows you how many results there are. And he would say, there's over, you know, whatever, 500,000 conversations happening about you online and you're participating in none of them. And like, that was his hook to get you in of like, oh, wow. wow. Because at the time, yeah, when you think about like, no one was on social media, no one was on the internet, really. You're like, oh yeah, all these people are talking about me and I'm not there. And that's a huge visceral reaction. And so people are like, take my money, you know? So he was just so (laughs) good at breaking it down. Like, cause people were confused. Like, why would I want to be on there? Why would I do this? Why would I do that? And to be able to say like, oh yeah, people are talking about you and you're just not there. People are talking about your products and you're not able to, you're not responding currently. So I learned so much about how to sell, which leads into my first company of like how to sell services, how to price services, how to staff against, you know, accounts, all those types of things. That's actually really so helpful too, because when, you know, you talk to entrepreneurs, a lot of them are, you know, kind of like they have experience from their family. They see other people doing it, but I've never actually heard a tip of how to become an entrepreneur by working for someone else. And that's a really good example of concrete skills you learned to be able to start your own business that you got from working for another person for a different company. So that's a really amazing tip. And I, I love that too. Did you call that information design? Yeah, information design. 
That's so true that that's such a crucial part of being an entrepreneur that I, I've never heard of being talked about before. I totally agree, Josie. Um, all right. So amazing start in New York. How did you end up in Los Angeles? That is a big move. And you said you had this big network in New York. So that's got to be a big story change. It definitely was. So basically, I work at iCrossing for a few years and I end up getting poached again by one of the clients I had at iCrossing. So a client basically brought me in-house and and the client was at Interactive Corporation, which is a massive conglomerate that owns like weather.com, match.com. I think they own Tinder now, Daily Beast. And at the time, they owned a company called Pronto. Pronto was essentially like an Amazon competitor. It was like a search. It was the beginning of that like search and shopping, you know, kind of online shopping trend. And I went there, I was running all their social media and like some of their like influencer stuff was kind of starting a little bit. And basically it was around, I was there for like over a year, loved it. I, you know, loved my boss, like loved everything about it. And then essentially like 2000, it was like 2008, 2009 and the recession hits. And I just remember it being like a bloodbath in New York, like layoffs. It was crazy. And I remember that there were basically the two people above me got laid off. And I was like, like I'm definitely next, you know? And so the CEO at the time was John Foley, who's actually the, the founder of Peloton, but he was my boss. He came in and basically was like, listen, like, you know, we're going to have to essentially like cut your salary back. Or, you know, I talked to this other sister company that was under the umbrella in Los Angeles. You can keep your title, same job, same pay. And, you know, just go to this other company, City Search at the time. And I was like, oh, I don't want to go to LA. You know, like, I was like, I don't know. Like, you know, it was a big deal. And he, he was awesome. And he was basically like, listen, like I went to UCLA. He's like, you know, I think he's like, I think you'd really like LA. Like, you know, we'll get you out there, see how you like it, you know, go meet the team, whatever. But he was like, you know, he said something that was really interesting to me. He's like, you know, I think in LA, you'd be, you know, a big fish in a small pond. Like, you know, in New York, you're like one of a million people like trying to make it happen. He's like, you have a very unique skill set you know, in the social media world, which again, at the time, not many people were doing. And like, he's like, LA is like 10 years behind or like not 10, like two years <laughs> behind New York. Yeah. So like you have this opportunity to kind of go out there and do something really cool. So I went out, I met the team, blah, 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 I got the offer. And I, you know, my lease was ending. I had like just broken up with my boyfriend. You know, I was like, you know, like I don't want to go back. Yeah. I can always yeah. go back like and see. And so cut to, I moved to LA and like three months later I got laid off. <laughs> I was like, no. no. <gasps> yeah. Uh, that's like the most relatable thing right there. <laughs> yeah, no, it was so good. <laughs> but basically what ended up happening, and I think this is, you know, good for, I always tell people this story because I'm like, you, especially right now, because so many people are getting laid off. But like, I was devastated. One, yeah. I came into this like company, um, you know, that had so many great people at it. Like I still, some of my good friends this day, you know, are amazing, but I basically came in and when I got there, they're like, it just had a different energy than New York, I would say. And like, essentially I came in like pretty hot and I was like, here's all these things I want to do. I, you know, at the time I was like, we need to go up against Yelp. Like we need to be making all these strategic partnerships. Like we need to be bringing influencers in. And and basically I got like a relax kind of, and I was like, oh, okay. Like got it. And they're like, can you just fill in this spreadsheet with like contacts at like local news stations? And I was like, yeah. Like this sucks. It's not what I thought it was, right? And it wasn't yeah. the same environment that I had in New York, which was like, go do, do all this cool shit. Like, mm-hmm. um, so I kind of came in and I was like, this is not, there's definitely a lot of culture clashing happening between me and my boss and like all the people in general, right? And so basically I was let go because it wasn't a good fit. And also I'm sure because of like financial reasons and all that stuff, but it was horrible because I was like, 
I am the career girl. Like, and now I don't have a job in a city where I know no one and have zero connections. Like I just blew up my entire life. And basically I, you know, what ended up happening was I was lucky in that I started to uh, gain momentum as like, I mean, I want to say an influencer, but at the time it was blogging. So it was a blogger, personal blogger. I was getting brand deals, like, you know, lightweight. I was with like an agency. I was like, you know, doing a little bit of that stuff, but I also was able to get community in LA through that. Like, you know, I knew a lot of us, you know, girls out in LA that were doing it as well. So I started to kind of have those relationships. And I basically just like reached out to my network and emailed everyone I could and said, Hey, you know, I'm looking for work. I can be freelance or this at the other. I will say I applied for a ton of jobs I did not get. I basically, because every job at the time was like Sony Pictures social media manager or like blah, 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 social media person in entertainment and gaming of which I had no experience. So they were just like no callbacks, you know? So at the time there was really no one doing fashion or beauty or anything like that in LA. And so long story short is I ended up getting clients, getting more clients. I ended up getting an office space. Um, with a few people, and then like starting my first company kind of on accident. And this was no subject, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And was that marketing or PR or both? A little bit of both. It was like all of the above. It was like, whatever you need me to do that you will pay me at, at first. I was like, okay, we'll do whatever. So we like started as social media and community management, which was like a very hot service back in the day. Like everyone's like, we don't want to update our Facebook page. Can you do it? So we did that. And then we kind of leaned more into influencers and influencer marketing. And then we kind of got into a more of influencer and consumer events by the end of it. So like it evolved as things evolved because it was around for like seven years. Would you say that that company was almost like created out of kind of necessity where you're like, I have these skill sets, no one's kind of hiring for this? Or was it more of you kind of foresaw, oh, this is a huge, you know, soon to be industry that people don't have a hand in yet. So I want to start a business and I want to get ahead of it. Like what were kind of the, the reasonings behind you starting that? Yeah. So basically I was doing my freelance social media thing and, and marketing thing. And I had, I think one person underneath me, I wouldn't even call them an employee because they didn't even have like a company at the time. It was just like one person helping me. And it was going really well. And I ended up meeting this group of people that were getting this office space. And I was like, oh, amazing. I'm all by myself at home. I know no one in this city. Like I should go someplace every day. They're cool. They're young. They're entrepreneurs. And one of them was this girl who had her own company, which was an events company. So it was, it was like, she was doing events like locally and for, for bigger clients. And I was doing social media. And what we ended up seeing was like, oh, maybe we can combine forces and offer like more diverse services. So that's kind of how it started. So we basically came together to create the company as it was. And it worked really, really well. I mean, I think at our peak, we were maybe 10 employees and doing, you know, a couple million a year as like an agency and an agency service. We ended up parting ways early in like, I would say the first like and maybe three years in. Um, and then I ended up running it by myself um, after that and then eventually selling it. But it was an amazing learning. It was, it was like, I had, no, I was not a business person. You know, I was a creative social marketing strategist. So like starting a business with someone was like scary, but also exciting. Cause I was like, I have nothing to lose. Like this, you know, this girl's like doing her thing. I'm doing my thing together. We'll be even more powerful. And it was kind of just like this exciting time where there was like, you know, nothing to really lose. There was no pressures, no, you know, none of that stuff. It was just kind of fun and exciting. I love that. And like the entrepreneurial spirit of just like learning on the job, because like all entrepreneurs out there are probably bringing one key skill to the table, maybe two, but like as an entrepreneur, you need to know a lot of like, so it's, it's a just learning on the job type of experience. So I have to ask, cause I feel like 
so many people out there, myself included, have had that moment in life where like the rugs pulled out from under you, like this whole relocating across the country, not being a culture fit, like the, the job not being what you wanted, being laid off. Like what was going through your head? Was any part of you like, F it, I'm moving back? Or like, what was the line between I'm going to stick this out and see if I can make it work and just wanting to maybe run back home? Oh, for sure. I mean, I would say, you know, there was two months of me like crying. I remember at one point I was like trying to enroll to become a yoga instructor. Like I lost my full mind. I was like, I don't know what I, cause again, I didn't know anyone really there. I remember like, I would just go to the gym during the day to see people. Like I was just like, it was just a bad, bad time. And again, I think it was also just grappling with my identity because it's like this, I was like, Oh wait, this doesn't go with my narrative of like, I'm killing it. And like, look, I'm like doing all this stuff. I was like, yeah, embarrassing. But I think it also was like, I mean, I, in retrospect, it was like the best thing that ever happened to me because I don't think I would have started something on my own. I had been in corporate for too long and like known that structure and how that whole thing worked and working for other people. But it was interesting. So I read the four hour work week after I got laid off, which is now like probably a really dated book, but there was things in it about like why you would make a good entrepreneur. What are traits of a good entrepreneur? And it was basically saying why entrepreneurs make bad employees. And I started reading over the list of things that make them bad. Like you get stuff done very quickly. You operate in like a more innovative way. Like you ask, you know, you ask questions of why you like, and it was all these things that I did as an employee that like essentially got me fired. Um, where I was like trying to push the boundary, like, you know, seeing things that could like one plus one equals three, like, let's do this. And I was like, Oh, like, that's really interesting to kind of reshape the narrative of like, oh, I got laid off because I wasn't a culture fit to like, oh, I'm actually realizing I'm better as a entrepreneur or being my own boss than I am being under someone else. So I think like now, you know, in those moments, like all those things happen for a reason. And I feel like I was able to really, you know, take that leap because I kind of had no choice, even though I don't think I would have done it on my own. I love that. I love that so much. And I feel like everyone I talk to who's had that experience where kind of like their whole world is shaken. 10 years later, look back to that point. And it's, you know, you'll never know what it was if it hadn't happened. But yeah, I kind of love and believe in that whole like things happen for a reason. And so you dip your toe in entrepreneurship. And before you know it, and I'm sure many people listening know you for the famous, beloved Create and Cultivate conferences. All right. So a little bit about that. Um, It became a hugely popular conference and media company with some of the biggest names like Meghan Markle, Martha Stewart, Kim Kardashian, and Ashley Graham. How did your road lead you to create and cultivate? Where did you come up with the idea, the knowledge, and even that confidence to launch something like that on your own? Yeah, totally. So Crate and Cultivate started as a complete side project. It was something I was running through my agency, No Subject, is like, hey, I just want to get people offline and, you know, get entrepreneurs and freelancers and creatives together to kind of like, you know, get your hands dirty. At the time, DIY was very big. So we're like, we'll do some DIYs and like have some speakers and networking and all that stuff. And so the first one was in 2011. I think it was like 25 people at the Ace Hotel in Palm Springs. Super fun. Like again, probably broke even, maybe even lost money on it. But it was just like this really great, fun event that was super unique. Like so low budge. Like I remember we decorated the whole like event space with neon electrical tape. Like we did like these weird little patterns and stuff like so broke, but it was fun. There was nothing like it at the time. Everyone's like, this is so cool. You know, when's the next one? 
I was like, oh, I have like no idea. Like this was kind of one. But like then the next year, you know, we got approached again to do it from like the hotel. And I was like, all right, let's do it. Let's go like, you know, let's go a little bigger. And, you know, we were lucky in that at the time, Levi's, you know, one of our friends was had a PR at Levi's. She was like, oh, we want to sponsor it. And I was like, oh, okay. Like here's a little package. Like I put together, it was like $3,000 to be the presenting sponsor you know, they got all this stuff. She's like, cool, like ran it on her credit card. And, you know, putting Levi's as the presenting sponsor of our event got us a lot of attention, sold a lot of tickets. Like people got really excited to come, definitely added that cool factor. And we hosted that one. There was about 50 people. And then next year it was like 75 people, 100 people. And like, it kind of kept growing organically. Um, I never thought too much of it. Cause again, it wasn't like a moneymaker really ever. It was any, if anything, it was a good way for me to network with influencers, which was helpful for my yeah. agency. It was also a good new business lead to help with bringing on maybe clients that were on to sponsor into, you know, the fold of like services for the agency. So I just never really thought about it. And then essentially like two or three people, like I really trusted that I really like, you know, respected and loved, you know, their journey were came to me and they're like, what is this thing? What is Create and Cultivate? And I was like, it was just like this little side project. And they were like, no, that's like your brand. Like you need to go build that. Like you spend all your time building other people's brands, like treat it like you would a client. And I was like, yeah, you know what? You're right. I love that. Yeah. And so I started, you know, investing more time into it. And then the employees started investing more time into it until eventually it became kind of this crossroads of like, I think this needs to be its own thing. And again, this was like six years in, six six years of like kind of doing it in. And I was both. wow. Yeah. And basically I ended up, um, bringing on one of those people as a partner, we both invested in the company, um, and kind of like, then we're on the journey of like, all right, let's see if it works. And, um, I ended up selling the agency shortly after that running both for a year, which was really intense. And then, yeah. And then the rest was history, but it was interesting because I, again, it was, I had had no experience throwing conferences. I've done events, like, of course, I mean, you're, Event design is pretty spectacular. I have oh, to know where that, you. where did that come from? Just throw another skill on the table. <laughs> I am like, I, it's so funny because my husband is a graphic designer. Like he is a graphic, des- amazing graphic designer. And he's like, you are like this like poor man's graphic designer. I just like pull <laughs> inspiration in Pinterest and like colors. And then I'm like, can, we go, can you make this? Like, it's so bad, but I like- No, you have an eye. It's thank clear. You. <laughs> the vision is there. It was so fun. Like I, I, it was a weird skill set that I happened to have. Like, it's funny because I designed every Crate and Cultivate stage up until I think two years ago, maybe. And like, we finally got like an experiential designer in house who's like, so much better than I am. But like, it was just so funny because I remember walking into the first training cultivate where I didn't design the stage. And I was like, oh, I mean, it looked amazing, obviously. But it's just like, I was so obsessed like what to what flowers were there and like what scripts, what paint color. Like, I absolutely yeah. loved it. Yeah. So I mean, but again, you learn all these skills when you start a company when you're like, oh, wait, I have to learn how to do Okay, I'll do it. No problem. Yeah. But I feel like even just hearing you talk about that first job and having those like, great sales geniuses like to teach. I feel like that and then your natural like sense of creativity and that that creative direction, like marrying those two, we see as create and cultivate. It, it, it seems to me. I mean, what was like your high over the years of leading the create and cultivate and growing that and like seeing where it started to where, where it grew to? I mean, there's it's pretty wild. Like I think, you know, I feel like now, especially I look back and I'm like, holy shit, that was crazy. Like, how did I do that? Like, it's so insane. Cause when you're in it and I'm sure you can relate to this, like you're kind of just heads down in it and you're like getting through the next thing and then the next thing and then the next thing. And like, yeah, you're like, kind of like, oh, that was cool. But okay. But like, what's next? You know, what's next? 
And it takes like you being kind of pulled out of it to be like, well, that was pretty crazy that we were able to do that. But I think like, you know, in terms of key moments, I think, you know, interviewing Martha Stewart was incredible. Um, you know, it was like an amazing moment and like in front of thousands of people is like totally insane. Um, you know, hitting, you know, 2.5 million downloads on the podcast, you know, all those things that you're like, how is this, who's out there listening and participating and like building this amazing community. But I think the best thing about it was like, I would get these handwritten cards in the mail all the time of like, I met my business partner at Create and Cultivate. We just hit our first million in rev. Or like, I asked for that raise based on, you know, a podcast episode I listened to. And like, it's like when you build a community driven business, it's it's actually the most rewarding thing of all time because you get these insights into like how the thing that you're doing is helping other people live a better life or have a better career or whatever it might be. I couldn't agree more. And it was like, per that earlier question about networking and for people who maybe struggle with that, like you created this space that made it such a safe, welcoming community for women to get together and find like-minded women and, and really network and grow and make their dreams come true. So seriously applaud you. I know we've, we've been a part of it and sharing and watching it uh, for so long. So it's been amazing. So I mean, that's like that chapter. And then since then, I mean, you mentioned the podcast, you are an author, you have since started your own venture company and uh, investing in other female owned brands, I believe. And then the latest one, which we're going to get into, but really quick, I'd love to ask a question about your venture company, uh, New Money Ventures, which like I said, invest in women owned businesses and female entrepreneurs. Where did that idea come from? I mean, obviously, I think we get a sense of of where your heart is at with work. But, you know, I'd love to hear a little bit about what you're looking for, especially for all the female entrepreneurs listening. Like, what is it that stands out to you when you're looking to invest in female businesses? So I had been angel investing for such a long time in female-led businesses, small amounts, you know, just here and there. And had some good successes with it and learned a lot. And when I was, you know, kind of stepping down as the CEO of Create and Cultivate and moving more into the founder role, you know, I was like, what do I want to do day to day? Like, what does it look like? And where do I get like the most sort of joy and excitement? And really it's helping mentor other female business owners, you know, whether big or small, you know, whether they're trying to sell their company or just start their company. Like I've always, I'm so passionate about that. I absolutely love it. But I also realized like, yes, you can mentor all day long, but like the reality is, is like women need to have access to capital and only 2% of venture funding goes to women-led companies and only 5% of venture funds are run by women. Yeah. So it's a real problem, right? You need that cycle at the top for the women deploying the capital and you need the women receiving the capital. And so I was pretty excited to, you know, get into venture in a more formalized way um, and create the fund. So, you know, we are looking for a few different things when we invest. Um, One is the founder, obviously, like when you're investing in the business, you're investing in the founder, their vision, you know, how invested they are, what, what, you know, how they see the big picture, their leadership skills, you know, why they're so devoted to this company first and foremost. Second is a disruptive category. So it could be a category that's brand new and disrupting something, or it could be someone disrupting an existing category. Um, Some good examples of that are like Frame Reformer, which is a first of its kind digitally connected Pilates reformer. So think like Peloton for Pilates and it's small and storable, first of its kind, really cool and innovative. 
And then secondly, we have like dough, which is good for you cookie dough. So it's within a category that already exists, but is reinventing it in some way, shape or form. It's so delicious. So those are some examples of like what we're looking for. And lastly is more on the financial side. So right now, you know, our mandate changes all the time with, you know, how we want our portfolio to look, but we're focused specifically on series A raises and we invest, you know, for anywhere between 500,000 up to like 1.2 million into the companies. You know, we often, um, our mentors, advisors, you know, come and in more, you know, hands-on ways. That's important to us as well. But currently looking to invest in the creator economy and um, femme healthcare kind of components as well. We've done a lot in CPG. So sort of moving into that technology space as well. I love that so much. And is that what led you to your latest venture, which I am so excited to hear you speak about? May. I'm saying that correctly, right? May. Yes. Yep. Totally. May Wines, which again, for those of you listening, it is basically single served bottled wine, wine that is bottled as single servings, which is so genius as someone who so sadly is regularly pouring out half a bottle because me and my husband can only drink half a bottle on our own and then days go by and the wine's gone bad. So I absolutely love this concept. How did you come up with it and why a wine brand? Yeah. I mean, precisely for the reason you just said, like, I, I felt like I was constantly wasting wine. I felt like all the single serve options, you know, were canned, which mm-hmm. is great for certain experiences, but for me, wasn't like an elevated experience. And so I want to go out and create something new and disruptive within an existing category. And that was May. As part of the fund, we have um, an atelier part of the fund where we create our own brands. We invest in them, we create in them, we build them and we grow them. And May is the first out of the atelier side of the fund. And really, we wanted to create it to solve that problem. I love wine, obviously, but like my partner and I in the fund, we're both training to be sommeliers. Like we've been very interested in the business side of the wine. As mentioned, I live part-time in Napa Valley. So I'm very steeped in the wine culture. It is primarily a a male-driven business, which is really interesting. There's very few women either own the companies or women winemakers, you know, all those different things. So it's always fun to kind of jump into a category that could use some disruption in that way as well. So for us, it's just been extremely fun. Like, you know, again, we, we launched, I think, two months ago and we've seen crazy growth, which is awesome. And we're introducing new varietals next year. So it's been a wild ride. And again, learning on the job, doing a CPG business, coming from a media and events business, lots of learnings, um, lots <laughs> yeah. of, kind of different things. So yeah, it's been really fun. Again, the branding is perfect. and so Jacqueline fashion. And and again, it's May, M-A-I-E, which this is going to be going live next week. So right during the holiday season, it makes an amazing gift. I know it's available online. And you know, if you're listening to this months out, anything you have going on, it's just such a great fun. It's a great hostess gift, Mother's Day, birthday gift. I love it so much. I And, and so there's Pinot Noir. Yes. So we launched with Pinot you know, our Savion Blanc and Rosé. Yeah, we did a lot of research into the top wine. all here. <laughs> yeah, the gang's all here um, for millennial drinkers. Uh, we'll be introducing some like lesser known varietals, um, but we wanted to start with the basics. So yeah, it's super exciting. And, you know, we also have these like really fun curated boxes too right now where you can get one with like for the foodie that has like a fun, like little spice ingredients for beauty with ceremonial oh, cool. products. So it's like, again, perfect for gifting um, as well. I love that. I love that so much. It's so smart. And it's also like I, the little rosé especially is the prettiest color. Like it it really is such genius packaging and everybody wants to Instagram it, which I think is the smartest way to make a brand these days is to have everybody want to post about it. True. Even though now it's all TikTok and I'm like, (laughs) oh, a whole other 
beast. I don't know. What are your I thoughts know. on TikTok? Like, is that part of the the brands are doing now? Do you have to like dive into TikTok marketing? For sure. I mean, what's fascinating is that you actually cannot advertise booze on TikTok. Like you can't do paid really? ads against it currently. I think they're going to change it soon because they just did an update for age gating, but found that out. And then, but you can like <laughs> pay influencers or, or content creators or things like that but you just can't do the paid ads against it. Um, but it's it's fascinating because like some of the, a lot of the brands that we get pitched on the venture side are TikTok brands that like blew up on TikTok, you know, have created these insane viral moments and, you know, seen a lot of sales from it. So it's been really fascinating. But Doe, who's one of our um, portfolio companies, does an incredible job on social. Like they do so much amazing uh, content on TikTok and Instagram and stuff. And it's, it's awesome to kind of see the way these brands are kind of reinventing, you know, what what we were doing. You know, I think early on, you know, when we were launching Crane Cultivate, everything was glossy, beautiful, you know, no raw footage. It had to be like, you know, movie level quality. Um, you know, and now it's really just like, you know, from your iPhone, here's how I'm building my business, follow along behind the scenes. It's it's just seen it's such an incredible shift to kind of see the way that, you know, businesses are operating on these platforms. Yeah. It, it's really fascinating. I, I think it's an exciting time to see how the social platforms and, and what people are consuming is is driving the way that we're changing brands and content creation and all of those things. So it's, it's really fascinating. Pivoting a little bit, Jacqueline, because you obviously have such an impressive career and you do so much for women in work. You have so much amazing advice from your podcast to what Create and Cultivate could do. So I'm really fascinated to ask you about your thoughts on hustle culture and like the girl boss era, because I think for a long time, it was very encouraged and empowering for women to have it all, to be it all, to be a CEO and be a mom if they want, and to grind and to, you know, beat the patriarchal systems in the workforce. And now we're seeing a lot of movements counter that, like the quiet quitting, um, the soft era, work-life balance. Like we're seeing a lot of that movement, particularly in Gen Z. So I'm just curious your thoughts on hustle culture. Like how have you seen it progress throughout even just your career? And do you have any tips for working toward a fulfilling for career without it being exhausting like it might've been in the past? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's really fascinating because I think specifically hustle culture, and then I can talk about girl boss stuff too, but hustle culture was what I grew up in. Like that is my whole twenties and building businesses. That was like, that's what you were doing. That was the expectation. Whether you owned your own company or work for someone else, it was like, who's the first one in, who's the last one out? Like, you know, go, 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 you know, all those different things. Right. And I think, you know, at the, at the time, like, you know, there was good, good and bad to that for sure. And so as it's interesting, cause like, as I got older and like, you know, in running Crate and Cultivate, I realized like, there was this very significant split within the company of like 30 plus and below 30 of like the worker, the mentality around work. And I think, you know, there was this really strong inflection point probably a couple of years ago that now we've sort of seen it like manifest in different ways, but like where it was like that, the, you know, 30 plus under 30s, like tension in the workplace where like we couldn't understand what they wanted. They couldn't understand why we were doing this. And like, it was this really like kind of, you know, bad situation that got, you know, pretty heated amongst a lot of different companies and ours included it internally. And what I started to realize was, you know, because I was at the like, you know, why isn't everyone working hard? I had to work hard. Like, this is what we did. This is how you like earned your stripes, you know, all these things. And what, um, you know, we did as a senior leadership team, we all kind of came into room and he said, okay, 
some of what they're talking about, like what Gen Z wants is actually really great, right? Like it's actually smart. Like we are burning out. We are, we're overworking. We are micromanaging. Like there's all these things that are like really, you know, not great for a company, not great for people like that we need to really look into. And then on the flip side, like there are really good things about like not necessarily hustle culture, but like that mentality of like working hard, you know, like, you know, working your way up the ladder, you know, all these things like that we were going to do. So we were like, I think there's good and bad from both that like we need to take out, you know, and kind of find that happy medium of what works. Because I mean, I wish we could all just like, you know, clock in, clock out five hours a day and like, you know, really, you know, do all these things, but we live in a capitalist society and like, it's just not how it functions, unfortunately. Right. So you have to kind of find this happy medium, I think in the workplace that fits, you know, on both where people are motivated, working hard, um, you know, learning from their job, you know, moving their way up, like by earning their stripes while also not killing themselves at work, like by working hundred thousand hour weeks, being a slave to their computer, like all those different things. Like how do you kind of create that middle of the road Thing. And I think we're figuring that out. Like, I don't think, any, I don't think we've gotten it totally right, you know, anywhere. I think we're still kind of figuring it out and learning along the way, but I'm excited for this like new chapter for people because yeah, like when we were all running, you know, at a thousand miles an hour, doing whatever we could to like hit the bottom line, you know, we missed out on a lot of what life has to offer. You know, you, you lose a lot of your health, like just physical health. Like you put doctor's appointments to the side, you do all those things. I was a victim of doing that as well. I stopped working out because I was working so hard, all those different things. And you start to forget what you're like as a person outside of work. Right. So I'm excited that there is this like happy medium that's coming up where we are prioritizing work-life balance and we are creating boundaries amongst like the workplace, you know, that are good for everyone. So I think it's great. And I think that we are doubly hard on female entrepreneurs. And our expectation is that female entrepreneurs and girl bosses are going to be our best friends, are going to be empathetic, more empathetic leaders, more, you know, kind leaders, whatever it is. Not to say that you need to be mean or anything like that. But I think having that sort of thought in your head that we are going to be more maternal, more this, more that. And then when you find out that they're not, that maybe they're a little bit more, you know, intense or like focused or whatever your immediate reaction is like that this is bad, right? And so I think there is this sort of learning that we need to have and sort of reshaping of what female leadership actually looks like. I think that's so true. We actually had on Alicia Menendez who talked about the likability trap. And I think that's so true of what you're saying where, you know, for women in work, especially women entrepreneurs, like there is this microscope on your analyzing every single thing they're doing, what their moves are. And then you're either, you know, you're too harsh and you're a bitch or you are not a good leader because you're not strong enough. Like there's, there's kind of this very unfair microscope on women and work that there's not on men for sure. How have you been able to move kind of away from that and to be able to be successful as yourself? Or did you find some of those pressures where you felt like you had to show up differently than you might otherwise because you were trying to prove yourself as a woman? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think it's interesting because with Create and Cultivate, like I was lucky in that we were completely self-funded. And frankly, like the only people I ever really worked with were other women. <laughs> like I never really, you know, was experiencing what, you know, we read a lot about in, in you know, these articles and things like that. Now that I'm on the venture side, which is primarily men, definitely been like an interesting, you know, awakening of like how things work, how people speak to each other, the way people pitch, the way people, you know, talk to me as a female investor. It's just, it's very, it's been an interesting nuanced experience. But I think for me, like the reality is, is like, I think no matter what you're doing, 
and I always would say this to employees, like the reality is, is like, we're all humans, right? Everyone on the other side of the email is a human. And when you're fighting with a client and a client's disappointed or pissed or mad, like, and you're feeling defense, all these things, like we're all just human beings on either side of the the situation. And we're going to mess up. We're going to get angry. We're going to like, you know, do something wrong, make a mistake. Like, and and I think if you start approaching your business in that way, um, it becomes a lot easier and like more human than it does where it feels you know, a little bit more, um, well, she said this and that, this, that, that, like you kind of start to approach it a little differently in that way. So I think for me, I've been, you know, lucky in that I've been able to have really good people around me. And I have a really amazing coach that I've worked with, especially like, you know, as I was growing and managing more people and, and taking on more things, like things change, like the way that you operate changes, you know, when you're no longer on like text messages with your employees, like, you know, that's a big yeah. shift when things <laughs> become like, oh, no one wants me at the holiday party. I should leave. You kind of learn like this new type of leadership as you're growing on the job, but it's, you know, it's, I think we're all just learning along the way. Elena, you probably have some good thoughts on that too. I just, I just bowed out of the uh, secret snowman for the first time this year. I was like, you know what? No one has to get me a gift this year. I'm not going to be part of this this year. You guys have fun. Yeah, it's 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 a weird feeling because it's like it's you're like, wow, we're growing. Like, you know, we're big. This is happening. It's it's all the things I always thought I wanted, and then you sort of feel like sadly, weirdly left out and nostalgic for the times when like. You know, you like everyone on your team, you can see what, you know, next to you. So it's, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's like, and especially for all of our, you know, we're building businesses for the first or second time. We're learning along the way. The world changes so fast too with the way businesses are run. So um, I think it's just, you know, kind of approaching it with that level of um, humanity. That's a really good tip to like see people as human beings, to communicate as human beings is a really amazing tip. I think that's one of the hardest or most difficult things anyone can go through in their career journey is coming to terms with the fact that not everyone's going to like you and accepting that. And I, I, yeah, and it's especially hard as in a leadership position because oh, yeah. you care about everyone you have and you want everyone to understand where you're coming from. But yeah, that's, that's, yeah, no, that's absolutely true. So going back to kind of the changing work culture, because I think there's obviously been tremendous changes, um, like you were talking about from, the hustle culture, especially I'm sure in New York, where it was like, that was the epicenter of hustle culture, 100% to now where younger generations are demanding more. But I think in general, like, especially the pandemic has really made people rethink what they should expect out of work, what work is. So, you know, people are challenging rules about like whether to start their own business or not. They're asking for flexible hours, rethinking that kind of hustle culture, having to work nine to five. So what are some ways that you, you maybe yourself are rethinking what it truly means to, to work, what the day-to-day looks like, and then how you want to encourage other women to rethink what they truly want and should demand out of their lives versus kind of like the, you know, like you said, you have to put in your hours, you have to earn your stripes. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a great question. I mean, I think it really depends on the type of company, the type of business, all these things. But I have never been a proponent of, you know, rigid work hours, nine to five, like you have to be there, butts and seats, like all these things. I think people work different hours and are better at, you know, different things and like maybe are better at night and more productive and all these things. And especially like we had so many moms that create and cultivate and like, you know, the more flexible we could be, the better for them, right? Like they have to pick their kids up or like, you know, they have to go to a doctor's or whatever it was, you know, like 
we want to be as flexible as possible because I it's so challenging already to be a new mom. Like, you know, we want to make sure that we're able to be flexible with them as well. But I think it really comes down to, here's the reality of like, I think what it means to be, you know, an employee. It's like, if you do your job well and you do it, you know, to the boss's satisfaction, you're available for emergencies and things like that. And you're being a good leader if you're a manager and doing all these things. No, I don't think a boss generally cares if you're like sitting there on your Zoom all day or doing this, that, the other. Like, I think it's more about like, if you show up and do the work in your own way, that's conducive to everyone else and makes for the team better. Like, great. Like, I think that's awesome. I think, you know, we do need to make time for mental health and like exercise and all those things. Like, I think it's so important. And like, I would rather an employee like go to the gym and get in at 10 and be a better version of themselves all day and more motivated to work because they can have that flexibility than telling them they can't and having them resent the company that they're at. So I think it's give and take, you know, I think again, it's like, as soon as like the privileges become abused or taken advantage of, like that's when it all breaks down, right? Like, and it doesn't work anymore. So I think it's just about, you know, being able to see the benefit on both sides and working towards like figuring out what that looks like. Is it going to be perfect? No. But, you know, is everyone working towards it in that way? I think that's great. You know, I think for me now, like I have a lot of boundaries about what I do. Like when I start my day, I always want to make sure I can work out. So I don't schedule any calls before, you know, 930 AM. You know, I try to keep that open for my morning. Like I try to shut down by 536, like to make sure I can cook dinner. You know, I think COVID, you know, in really 2020 taught me a lot about being forced to stand still, um, which I don't think I normally would have, you know, I was on a plane every day. My call started at 6am. I was just like a crazy person and I loved it. Like I didn't, you know, dislike it. I loved it. I felt excited every day. And, but I think I didn't realize I was like totally burnt out and like had no idea what I liked outside of that, you know, like what do I like to do? And you know, 2020 was kind of a gift in that way. I was like, oh, I think I like to cook. Oh, I like wine. I'm going to take a psalm class. I'm going to start gardening. I'm going to, oh, I like my husband. <laughs> He's cool. <laughs> now I get to see him sometimes. He's fun to hang out with um, sometimes. Yeah, you know, so exactly. Like it was sort of this like weird out of body experience, but it ended up being for the better for sure. I love what you were just saying about like the start and end time. Can you elaborate more? I'd love to hear about other boundaries or, or things you've set yeah. in your week, like how you schedule your week to practice self-care and recharge. Do you have any other tips on what you do? Yeah, totally. I mean, I like to work out in the morning. I I, like, if I don't do it in the morning, I'm never doing it. So I always like to like kind of kick off my day with that. I also like tend to my garden every morning. It's like a bit thing I do. It like sounds so like Diane. Is this an LA garden or a Napa garden? Napa garden, Napa garden. Our LA garden is like a lettuce grow, but we basically, (laughs) I have this big garden up here and I like go with my dog every morning and I'll just like, you know, prune all the little veggies or collect all the veggies. And it's such a nice way to start the morning. I like absolutely love it. And then, you know, my days are pretty like crazy, but I love to cook dinner. So I usually will do my last call at like five. And then obviously if I have things to catch up on, I'll do that. But I've been pretty religious about cooking dinner almost every single night um, while I'm here. And then we'll do a date night, you know, once a week, things like that. But I'm pretty like, good about, I think, letting go in that way. I think I've gotten better about letting go of things. So I have for May, for instance, we have two people on the marketing team. They're incredible. Like they're so smart. They're like way smarter than me and I'm obsessed with them. But I I feel like with, you know, going into this, you know, I was like very much like, let them lead. I don't need to be on every call, you know, like, and it's been a real lesson in restraint versus like with CNC. I was like, I need to be on every call. I need to oversee every little thing. I need to be in every single conversation. You know, I've approached it very differently and I'm so 
impressed by like the team and their ability to just like get it done and, you know, take on like hard decisions and tasks and make good decisions and move with it. And I'm like, I'm sure it would have been that way at Create and Cultivate too. I just felt too connected to the brand to like actually let go. It's hard when you're in it to make a big change. And like, and it takes a big shift, like to force you to try something new. And so that's, that's really awesome that you're able to do that now. Yeah. Yeah. Send us a photo of this garden. I want to add it to the show. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes, I will. <laughs> I have these gigantic zucchinis. They're like insane. I'll send them to you guys. Oh, oh my gosh. It's so smart. I, I love that tip of having that set time to do the things that make you feel good and matter to you. And I, obviously like those things are so important for your own well-being and happiness and all those things. But I, I also think that they're really important for productivity. Like we've kind of been thinking of productivity all this time as like, it's a time thing, like how much time you put into work. But, you know, I I think that we're moving towards thinking about productivity in terms of how much energy. So like, what are you doing to recharge yourself so that when you show up to work, those hours you put into it are like you said, like you're showing up as your best self because you got in your workout, you tended to your garden. So then you're more creative. You're more on top of things. You feel better when you're showing up for people than maybe if you had worked really late the night before and started working, got on your email at 7 a.m. So I, I think that those are really great tips just as ways to manage energy so that you are productive instead of putting totally. all of your time into you know, a way that you're feeling drained when you are showing up to work. So you've talked to a lot of really successful women on your podcast, Work Party, which by the way, including my wonderful co-host and boss, Elena, which is a really great interview. If anyone wants to go listen to that next, um, I love that conversation with you you guys. So what are some key takeaways or lessons that you've learned about balance or happiness or kind of setting those self-care boundaries with these successful women? Does anything come to mind? Yeah. I mean, so many. It's interesting because I think one is that all of us have kind of gone through our own journey to get there. And I think that's important to note because I think people can feel guilty if they're like, well, I'm just like, you know, my business needs me right now and I'm working a lot. And like, I don't have that. And like, am I doing it wrong? No, I think it goes like balance is relative to your situation and what you're currently in. And I think it can look like a million different things. And like, maybe that for you right now is working long hours, but then taking, you know, a hot shower, you know, and listening to your favorite podcast, whatever, like, and that gets you through to like the next day while you're in your build stage. But I think it's like, cause I don't want people to think also like, it's all yoga and like spa treatments. And then like, you know, you work a couple, cause it's not like that. Like I just, I wish it was, but when you're building something like it, it can be a lot. And so I think it's just about figuring out your personal strategy around boundaries and around balance that sets you up for success. And, and as opposed to trying to find something else that other people are doing and it's not working for you, you know, self-care so self you know, kind of, it's so specific to yourself. So I think it's just really about leaning into what you need in that moment to make you your best self. Totally. That's so good. I, I always love asking people their self-care tips, not for the point that it's like, oh, everybody else should go have a garden because Jacqueline has a garden. It's like making the point that self-care, the purpose of it is that each of us feel recharged in different ways. So it's like identifying what that thing is. It's not all going to be yoga classes and bubble baths for every single person. So I think that's a really, really great takeaway. So we are going to wrap up with some fun rapid fire questions if we could, Jacqueline. First one, your biggest difference that you've seen between your 20s and 30s? Oh, I think not caring what people think. 
Love that. That's, I hear that a lot. Cliche, but it's true. Like, I feel like you spend your 20s trying to be the person that everyone, you think everyone like wants to be around. You spend your 30s like unraveling that entire narrative. (laughs) I love that. Um, I have one that we didn't have written down, but this conversation sparked and I have to know. New Yorker, LA. Oh, Oh, question. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Jessica, I had no idea you were from New York, and now yeah. I feel like you just make so much more. I'm like, yes, she's a New Yorker. Oh my god! I listen. Here's what I'll say: I think everyone should live in New York at some point in their life. I think there is something so magical about that city, even if you're there for six months or a summer or whatever. Like there, there is the magic in that city that you cannot get anywhere else. And yeah, I mean, I I love Los Angeles, obviously, but I I think there's just something so magical about New York. Um, Next one, favorite celebrity you met at a Create and Cultivate conference, or maybe like your pinch me, oh my God, this this woman is here to talk. I mean, Martha Stewart, I already said that. I feel like she was like so amazing and like I could not get over it. Also, Gloria Steinem was like a big deal for me. That is huge. I mean, that's like history making. Yeah. Yeah. Literally. I am so sad our podcast intern could not be on this. She is doing her entire college senior thesis on Martha Stewart. And oh I'm like, oh, <laughs> she's a legend. She's the best. Yeah, totally. Um, all right. Go to hack that has helped automate your life or made it easier in some way. <sighs> That's a good one. I, you know, it's funny because I feel like I'm actually so bad at automation, <laughs> even though I feel like I want to do it, but I will say like, integrating in um calendly into anything like especially when we're booking the podcast has actually been a game changer like the amount of time and emails going back and forth to get something on a calendar is like a nightmare so i would say calendly and for interviewing if you're ever hiring oh that was a game changer (laughs) that's a really good tip Lastly, leave our audience with any tool, resource, book, obviously your own, but besides your own, um, a TV show, podcast, anything that has changed your life or resonated with you. God, there's so many. I mean, I would say something that's like totally, hmm, I want to give like a good answer here. I'm trying to think. I mean, I love all the business podcasts and business books and things like that, but I also think like you kind of have to create your own narrative in some ways as well. My like go-to thing is like really just keeping up with like what's happening in the world. And I think like the best places to do that are like the information is a really amazing site that I go to every day. It has such good, like cutting edge information on the, you know, different categories that we're in. Um, So I would definitely say that I would say if you can get your hands on a book around venture do it. I know there's a few out there about fundraising. Even if you're not fundraising, it's so good to know the language about investing in wealth and like how you're kind of going to be creating those things. Even if you are interested in maybe being an investor, I think the more women can educate themselves on the sort of jargon around it and the basics of how it works, the better off like we're going to be for long-term like wealth creation. It's so smart. I love that. I would never think to do that, like unless you're in it. Right. So that's great advice. Do you have one book you recommend? Totally. Yeah. I know I like, there's one book that always comes up and I'm like, yes. I mean, some of them are so bad. Yeah. So <laughs> so, like um, dense that you're like, no. Yeah. I have read quite a few books on like leadership, growing business, management, whatever. Yeah. Some are so bad. And I'm like, why did I spend money on this? Or like halfway through, I'm like, nope, this one's out. And so yeah, it's helpful to to have some titles. 
honestly, yeah, it's interesting because it's like, that's what most like leaders read, right? Is those types of books. And then when you kind of get into it and you're like, oh, wait, why wouldn't I read, you know, more about this? Um, It's so interesting. Okay. Crack the funding code. That's one that I've heard is really good. And the art of startup fundraising. The art. All right. I'm writing those down. We will put them in the show notes. We just had a review about pulling, needing to pull. She listens while she drives, so she needs to pull over because to take notes. I'm like, we will put it in the show notes for you, so you don't have to. <laughs> just eyes on the road, people. I love um, it. But yeah, it's just good, a good read. Why not? I love it. No, Jacqueline, thank you so much. Yeah. It has been such a pleasure. I always love getting to chat with you, and thank you for sharing your story and all of your learnings throughout your career with with our listeners today. Of course. So let everyone know where they can find you, the names of your businesses, handles of all the businesses, like where they can listen to work party, all the all the details. Yeah. Okay. So I'm at Jacqueline R. Johnson on pretty much every platform, but mostly on Instagram. Um, the podcast is at work party. You can listen to it on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can check out Create and Cultivate at createcultivate.com and May at drinkmay.com. If you want to buy some Drink May, you can use podcast 10 for 10% off. Thank you so much. Have a great holiday. Thank you, Jacqueline. Bye, ladies. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 